Good afternoon and welcome to Startup Nation, our weekly show that celebrates innovation and entrepreneurship. Startup Nation is brought to you by Dublin Business Innovation Centre, where ambitious founders get support to start and scale new businesses. And at Dublin BIC, we work with startups to get them investor ready and also to assist them raise the funding needed to grow their business. I'm Connor Carmody. I hope you'll stay with me over the next hour as we explore the emerging trends in the worlds of technology and business. And today we're going to be talking about the future of work. As you know, the pandemic disrupted so much of our lives in so many ways across 2020 and 2021. But one area I want to focus on today is work. And the short term consequences last year were both sudden and severe. Millions of people lost their jobs, their offices or place of employment closed, and other people rapidly adjusted to working from home as offices closed and many haven't been back since. But if you can recall a time just 18 months ago before COVID-19, the discussions we were having around work and the future of work focused on the disruptions that were coming involving new technologies, new roles, the robots were taking our jobs, etc. And what COVID-19 has done for the first time is elevate the importance of the physical aspect of work, where and how we work. Our offices, our city centres and our main streets have all changed and potentially will not go back to the way it was before. And perhaps the most obvious impact of COVID on the labour force is the dramatic increase in employees working remotely. And all the indications are that remote work, virtual meetings are likely to continue, maybe less intensely than at the peak. We're hearing about hybrid working and other phrases. So what does this mean for employers and employees and what are the impacts of this change world on businesses? That's what we're going to find out this afternoon. And to help us make sense of it all, we're delighted to be joined by David Burke, who's a director at Hayes Technology Ireland. And David is a leader in technology recruitment, outsourcing and project solutions. He's an advisor to many successful businesses on talent strategies. Kira Garvin is the CEO and founder of WorkJuggle, an online curated platform which connects highly skilled professionals with companies who need those skills on a flexible basis, part-time, remote or contract opportunities. And finally, we will chat to Peter Cosgrove. He's the managing director of FutureWise and they're a future of work research company offering research advice and presentations supporting organisations as they navigate the rapidly changing world of work. So let's get stuck in. Each week in our Futurescope slot, we explore trends in a particular sector. We're providing a global perspective, hopefully, but also what's happening locally on the ground. We're going to discuss some of the challenges and the innovations that are being uh, developed to solve these. So to start us off, I'm delighted to be joined by David Burke, Director of Hayes Technology Ireland. David, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing, Colin? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Hayes. Um, uh, Set the scene for us. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of people are familiar with the brand, right? So Hayes is a a multi-specialism global um, recruitment and project services organization. So while everyone knows Hayes, um, a lot of people aren't aware that uh, the technology business accounts for 30% of global revenues. And we're part of quite a considerable investment um, team at the moment to, to move the dial closer to 50% of that, so... Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, big focus on technology from you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Excellent. Can I start off? So uh, we were talking in the intro there about how the world changed. It was changing anyway, but but COVID mm-hmm. has, has, has increased that in lots of ways. From your perspective at a macro level, what's what's happening with work? What's happening with, with kind of how people are working? What are you seeing? Yeah, so I guess, you know, your your point is well made there. There, there was lots of change underway and, and the pandemic, you know, has, has accelerated a lot of those conversations. I think fundamentally when, when you when you boil it down, it's about new ways of working. So new ways of hiring, new ways of onboarding people, new ways of engaging with each other. And fundamentally, I think the shift is 
we are now looking at the outcome of work. So the focus has has the laser focus now is is on the outcome of what people do rather than the traditional ways of of how we you know manage people doing that work. If that makes sense, that's fantastic. So so actually, we're we're less about here's a bunch of tasks you get on and do them. As employers, we're now saying, I've hired you to do a job. I trust you. Let's get on, get it done, and we'll measure at the end of the quarter, or the week, or the month, or whatever that is to see how you're getting on with an outcome. Yeah, I, I think their hand has been forced in a lot of cases, right? Just because when you take a, a workforce and, and send them off on their way and you can't really see what people are doing. So, you know, smart organizations always, you, you know, uh, empowered people and, you know, believed in, in people taking accountability. But, you know, not every organization was set up like that. So I think when you remove that observation, uh, that day-to-day observation from a lot of businesses, they have to you know, just focus on outcome because they can't, you know, measure the inputs in the same way that they were always able to. Now, clearly, you know, depending on the industry as a type of business, it's, it's different for everyone. And I think that's another <clears throat> important development here that there is no one-size-fits-all for any of this stuff. Um, you know, e- even within industries, businesses in certain, you know, different pockets of, of the same industry will have to react and operate in, in different ways. But I think the the one thing to be able to focus on the outcome of work is that businesses need to be you know, super clear on what their strategic objectives are and how their teams and individuals will play a part in that. So, you know, everyone just, you know, more acutely aware of what their role to play is in the bigger picture and, and really owning that themselves. But it takes, it probably takes a cultural shift in an organisation to move from task-based to outcome-based and to, like, if you don't have it already, to have that trust in your employees, that yeah. you trust them to go away, deliver what they've got to do and bring it back to you when it's done. That that requires a lot of significant shift, I would imagine, for some in, for yeah. some organisations. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. And the, the hardest part of all of this is, is the culture change, I think, for everyone. And, and you know, that, that, that applies equally to businesses who've had a, a really great, empowering and employee-centric culture because, you know, they, they had a way of working that supported that that, you know, um, has been taken out of their hands. So, so I think, you know, of course, you know, businesses, businesses have, have had to pivot, you know, massively on, you know, how they engage with their employees and what the culture looks like, whereas, you know, for the businesses who are, you know, maybe a little further to make some changes. But I think, yeah, that culture change is definitely the hardest bit. And, and I think that, you know, what we're seeing anyway across our customers is that, employee con- consultation is, is key here. You know, you, you can't as a leadership team, you know, des- design a strategy, decide how it's going to work for you and just roll it out. Um, you know, I think that's that's not going to work. Um, you know, people need a voice and I think the last, you know, 18 months have given people a, re- a really clear sense of what's important to them and, and how they want to work and how they feel they can do their jobs well. So, of course, you know, um, it's a mediation process and you're going to arrive at a, a point that the business is happy with and the individuals, but you know, from from the um, the customers that we're working with, I think that employee consultation is really important. You need to be brave enough to do that. Yeah, and you you chat and advise organisations on a daily basis. How is that shift from the kind of the task based to the the outcome based? How's that been progressing over? Because you know, the other issue has been that for lots of companies, they haven't seen their employees in the last twelve, fifteen, mm-hmm. eighteen months. So how has that? How has that progression been managed? Because maybe you're trying to change a culture and as you say, you're trying to to engage in this kind of negotiation process almost, but your employees are all at home and you haven't seen them. So how's that going from, from what you've been seeing? Yeah, I think, again, it's, there's, you know, it's a mixed bag. It, it really depends on, on the people, you know, on both sides of the fence, you know, on both sides of the process. Some businesses have, have worked really well and others are, are struggling, I think, still. You know, I think everyone kind of patted themselves on the back for how, how we just 
you know, enabled people to physically work remotely. And there was an awful lot of work went into that initially for the first phase. I think the the questions that are still to be answered are are, are the culture questions, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you can have a bunch of people who have worked together for a you know period of time. You you send them all home, and and but there are bonds and ties that that bring people together. There's established deep relationships. But as you start to hire people, I mean, yeah. I joined the business 12 months ago. I've um, onboarded fully remotely, and and for the most part, been working remotely. And you know, the tools and technology are there to be able to integrate and get to know people. But, you know, as, as more and more of your workforce are remotely onboarded and limited interaction with their colleagues, you know, what, what does that do to company culture? So, you know, the things that we did in the past to maintain a strong culture and a strong bond to keep people together are much, much harder to do. Yeah. So I think one of the consequences of that, that that has yet to play out is what does that mean for tenure? I mean, tenure in technology is, you know, two to three years is, is, is average. Yeah. And, you know, will that shrink to 18 months? You know, how, how productive can new people be in the first 12 months? Or are you losing some of that, that golden time in, in year two or three where people really help take your business forward? So, you know, it's really complex and there's a lot of questions yet to be answered, I think. Right. Excellent. The other area uh, or term that we've heard a lot about is hybrid working. Mm-hmm. And it's this notion of a mixing in and out of the office. Um, and I see lots of the big uh, kind of multinationals saying they don't expect their staff back. I think most recently I saw Facebook uh, maybe a week ago saying, you know, remote strategy, even staff who work overseas, you can stay remote. Um, so some people are saying, let's go remote. Uh, some people are saying it's a hybrid, you know, whatever that might mean, a day in the office, uh, a day at home, day in the office, mixing it up like that. What's your What's your take? on that whole area? Yeah, so look, it's the, all of our customers are asking the same question, what yeah. everyone else doing, you know, and it, again, it is so varied. So every year we produce a, a What Workers Want report. It's a quite a sizable data set, actually, so we, we released that yesterday. Yeah. And I think, interestingly, you know, um, when we look, and this is a mix of, you know, um, people uh, running a business as well as employees. So when we said, you know, we asked the question about traditional nine-to-five and office-based ways of working, you know, will they return uh, you know, only a quarter of people said, no, we won't go back to the way that we were. Um, and pretty much, a, 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 sorry, a third rather. And then a third said, yes, we're going to go back fully. And then a third unsure. So I think, you know, there really is, it kind of really highlighted that no one is really sure. And there's not one, you know, way of working um, or, or one consensus of, of how we will work. I think what was really interesting is over half the employers um, that we um, surveyed in that said that hy- hybrid or remote working will be the preferred option and will be offer- offered to, to their teams, you know, while, while 29% said it won't. Yeah. So most employers expect the workforce will be in a mix of hybrid working from July on. Um, but, you know, when we looked at the, um, uh, the the relationship between what employers and employees wanted, you know, 51% of employers expected to offer remote working, where 67% of employees uh-huh. said they, want, they will only work for a business that offers hybrid or remote working permanently. So there's a bit of a variance here in terms of what the employees want and what and what the employers are, you know, have, have offering or have in their mind. Do. Yeah, yeah. But and then conversely, just one interesting set around that as well. We saw a, an exact match as well in terms of um, employees felt, you know, fifty three percent of employees felt that and they were fully equipped and and enabled to work from home and do their job in the right way. Where only forty two percent of employers felt that they were equipped to run and engage with hybrid teams. So, there's, you know, there's a bit of a, a difference here in terms of what the employee seems to want and what an employer feels that they can do at the moment. It's interesting. Maybe the employees are running ahead of the employers in terms yeah. of this shift. And so that employment 
the employer, the company, is struggling to keep up, whereas the employee has adapted much faster. Exactly. Yeah, I think, look, you know, the, the, every employer, right, and I know it's a catch-all term, but every business leader, every business owner, they're, they're focused on, you know, what they can see and, and, you know, what's out of their control, where um, from an employee perspective, for the most part, and it's not the same for everyone, some people absolutely want to be back in an office full-time, but for the most part, people at home have, have said, oh, I like this, I like some flexibility, I like bringing the kids to school, I like going for a swim at lunchtime. So, yeah, you can understand why that variance is there. I think just to come back to your, your point, the, the tech industry, you know, and, and, and in Ireland especially, that those large, you know, um, big tech companies do tend to set an agenda and definitely start a conversation. Yeah. I think the Facebook one was really interesting. Uh, the small print is important there. So, yeah. first of all, they talked about eligible roles. You know, and they were very clear that it's eligible roles can be done remotely. And we've seen this for a while, big tech. They will open a role that can be either London, Dublin, New York, whatever, you know. So, yeah. so it, the, 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 um, the base for the role, because it has an EMEA focus, can be anywhere in EMEA. So that's been happening for some time. So, you know, um, and then in the small print of that, they, there was a statement that they expect people to be in the office 50% of the time. Uh, I think then when you look at, at Apple as well, um, you know, Tim Cook had said that they're, they're going to be pretty clear. It's three prescribed days people yeah. will be expected to be in the office. So, so even amongst the you know the, the tech leaders, there, there's a there seems to be a, a different approach and a, and a different plan. So, I mean, you know, outside of of the big tech companies, we're seeing a lot of um, mid-sized tech companies offer four-day weeks now in the last year, which you know has has definitely grown. Um, so, you know, you you've got a four-day week. Three days to yourself, not not um, uh, you know stretching the five day week into four days or condensing it rather, but a four regular days um, and three full days off as well. Right. So I think look, long and short of all of this is we we feel definitely you know hybrid is is, is coming in in some way shape or form for for employers. I think very good. Um, last area to explore with you is around uh, innovation and and I suppose the mm. role of innovation and technology and how we're working. What have you seen there? Oh yeah, I mean this. This is definitely you know has been accelerated with um, with the pandemic, but was was you know well underway and um, you know in the lead up to that. I think there's a few key areas. Data data is massive, right? So we're, you know people are really leaning heavily on insights to drive their business and, and their customer profiles, and I think that's you know um, the the pandemic has heightened that um, in terms of people looking at is their strategy appropriate. I mean. Our customer people's behavior, their lives have fundamentally changed. So your customer's behavior has changed. Now, are you looking at your customer data to see, you know, what changes have occurred and how, how they engage with your product or service? So we're definitely seeing, um, you know, a, a really, really renewed focus on, on using data to, you know, to make smart insights and, and drive business decisions. Um, other areas, um, you know, everyone talks about AI and machine learning, but, you know, has really jumped forward in a practical sense over the last few years. So, you know, businesses looking at automation, how to automate processes, and, you know, the, the, the kind of knee-jerk reaction to that oftentimes is that it's displacing workers as a, and, and as a but that's not often the case. And we have a specialist business that looks at that um, specifically, and part of the the model that we have is about retraining and redeploying people yeah. either back into the automated processes so that, you know, they can take that forward and, and step it in to the next level or, you know, giving them a chance to, to engage elsewhere in the business. But I think, you know, fundamentally over the last 18 months or so, the two big things have been collaboration. So really, you know, looking at tools and technology to facilitate this distributed working but keep people connected you know, unlocking productivity. So um, a marked shift in businesses looking to, 
to unlock that pro- productivity through technology. And then the final bit, I guess, is wellness, right? I mean, um, you know, while everyone has been, for the most part, um, espousing the, the, the virtues and benefits of working remotely, for a lot of people it has been really hard. Um, and I think companies have, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that they've taken ownership for in a much more meaningful way over the last 12 months has been their, their employees' wellness. Um, so we're good. seeing a lot of investment in in the mental health stuff, but then also stuff like peer recognition and social recognition. And, you know, we have a, a brilliant Irish success story in, in Work Human who are a specialist in that area and have just achieved their, their unicorn valuation. So Fantastic. lots going on in that space. Lots going on. David, uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for joining us this afternoon. It was great to chat with you. No problem. Happy to. Thanks, Connor. Thanks so much. That was David Burke of Hayes Technology uh, talking to us this afternoon. So, each week we bring you an innovator who has spotted a gap in the market and is developing a new product to address that gap. And now they're going to tell us the why and the how. And I'm delighted to be joined this week by Kira Garvin, who's the founder and CEO of WorkJuggle. Hi, Kira. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Hi, Connor. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. Um, I was reading a little bit about you, so I'm going to get you to tell me about WorkJuggle. It was founded by Kira Garvin in 2016 after spending one hour too many stuck on the M50 racing home to pick up her kids after work. There must be a better way in this day and age. Is that correct? That is so true. So very true. Yeah. Tell me all about WorkJuggle. What do you do? Sure. So I suppose at its core, what we do at WorkJuggle is we connect highly skilled professionals to flexible remote and contact roles. So that whole recruitment piece, and that's kind of the engine. But we've all we've expanded in recent years, and we do also quite a lot of training, yeah. and we do consulting. So we do consulting in the area of diversity and inclusion, and we also do training. So, for example, we run uh, for Technology Ireland Software Schoolnet. We run their reboot program, which is helping women get back into work for their tech careers. So. Um, and now with the pandemic, we've kind of pivoted a little bit and we're doing training as well for helping people remote work successfully in kind of a hybrid remote work environment. So that's a little bit about what we do. Very good. But at the heart of it, as I understand it, you're mm. you're coming up with this. So so the the problem you experienced was you wanted to work. You were a working mum and you needed flexibility in your life. You didn't want to be on the M15 at eight in the morning and five in the evening. Um, so it's it, is that at the heart of it? Is it around a flexible offering, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose it was it is very much from my own personal experience. And I think it's when I went back looking for work, when um, I had taken a few years out of the workforce, I went back looking for work and I was really struck by it. I had to spend a day in the lashing rain going around talking to all these recruitment agencies. Yeah. And I remember thinking, surely in this day and age, <laughs> there's a different way of doing this. You yeah. know, why can't I just log on to my laptop at home? And then similarly, I then started working as an experienced hire, a daily rate contractor yeah. uh, with Accenture. And again, you're looking at, God, contracting, this is a really good option. Do people know this is such a good option for people? And it can be very lucrative. And then like that, you're thinking all these thoughts and you're sitting on the M50, racing home to pick up kids. After having spent a day working in an office, talking to people who were all based in India or the West Coast of America, none of whom were actually sitting there with you. And you start to think, there has to be a better way to do this. Yeah. And it seems to me, we were talking earlier with uh, David from Hayes and he Mm -hmm. talked about this notion of uh, moving from what's the task to what's the outcome. And I look look at you, it's about we want to be rewarded for getting the job done and not the hours spent at a desk. Yes. Yeah, I mean, work is a thing you do, not a place you go. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. 
But yeah. but presumably, Kira. Uh, now I know the pandemic is changing a lot, but presumably employers have to have a shift in mindset to come up with that. It's it's a thing that you do, not a place that you go uh, mindset. Yeah, I think employers have had to shift. I would say, I mean, the pandemic has accelerated so many trends. So when I started talking about flexible and remote working five years ago, it was sort of seen as a little bit fringe, you know? It, it definitely wasn't mainstream. Now we've been involved in this huge, like we've been like these lab rats involved in this huge remote working experiment yeah. and everyone has had to adapt. I think what's going to be really interesting is the next 18 months. You know, how are employers, you know, because it's sometimes I see companies and the knee-jerk reaction is we just have to get back to where we were, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately for them, their employees don't feel the same way and it's a really tight talent market. So what's that going to look like? And I think, you know, I think we all have to go into the base. People are going to get stuff wrong, you know? We're in a situation where people have never had to manage any of this before and people are going to be getting it wrong. Right. So, and we're, as you say, it's an experiment. We're, we're only 18 months into it. The world is changing around us. Yeah. Um, so, so who knows? I, say, I mean, lots of people will profess an idea or an opinion as to what the future is, but, but I think we're probably just in the midst of it. It's hard to kind of figure out what the end result is going to be. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. And I think, you know, I think, to be frank, like HR managers, I think have had a really tough time over the yeah. last 18 months because they have just been catapulted into so much uncertainty um, I know when I'm speaking to different companies, you know, one week they're going to have everyone on this floor and there's going to be temperature checks every day. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it's all been so, um, so uncertain and so much responsibility as well. People haven't had, you know, these are really important decisions to be making. Yeah. And so I think, uh, it's, you know, we're, I really think. Yeah, we're trying, to cha- we're trying to change the engine on the airplane while we're in full flight. That's actually a really good analogy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you about developing Work Juggle and um, what's that journey been like? You started a couple of years back and what's the, the startup journey been like for you? Yeah, so I suppose um, I started it, you know, very much, you know, like at home and trying to turn an idea into a reality, which I think is, you know, it is quite, you know, it's difficult. There's no point saying otherwise. So I got great support. I got into uh, the New Frontiers Stage 1 in Maynooth at Loan. And yeah. I have to say, like, I applied to about five or six New Frontiers programs and yeah. they were the only one who took me. <laughs> and I'm always grateful that they did because I had a really good chat with Nick Allen who runs it down there. Know, Nick, and he yeah. was like, do you know what? Yeah, and he was like, I like, I think you've got an interesting spin on this. I like what you're trying to do. So even though I live in Dublin, I went down, I did the Maynooth Athlone, and you know, that was a really good group. And some of the people I was in with that group, probably five years ago now, they're still in business, you know, um, different businesses like Ballycook yeah. Avenue Brewery, Duro Mills. And it was, and I think that kind of gave me the confidence to apply for the Competitive Start Fund. Now, again, I didn't get that till my fifth go, you know. So Pers- Persistence has- is the key, Kieran. <laughs> I think so. Either that or I was really bad at articulating what it was I was trying to do. I do wonder sometimes. But yeah, yeah, So, but they really gave me the confidence to do the competitive start fund. And from there, I think we really tried to, you know, do as much as we could while building the business. So again, you know, for me, it's all about, you know, getting customers, building the revenue and managing and doing that rather than, for example, raising funds for example which yeah. I know sometimes people I feel sometimes people use that as a full time job and as a metric for success and to me that's never been the metric for success yeah. to me it's been growing our team and really you know building new customers and repeat customers and giving the people that really good uh, experience you know it's a great insight because you know a lot of the 
the glamour, if I can use that word around the startup world, is, is you know, I'm raising funds, I'm funding, I'm, I'm yes. you know, I'm pitching. But actually growing a business is about getting customers and building your team and building your own revenue. Revenue is the greatest source of uh, of income or fundraising that you'll ever need if you could get there first, you know? Oh, you know what? Absolutely. And I really, and I do, I, that really always kind of, you know, that like that, that funding is a measure of success where I think really if growing, building and sustaining a business, that's really a measure of success for me. That's what I think is important. Um, and I think as well, you just learn so much along the way. Yeah. Like I was in IT, you know, nobody yes. would let me next or near a customer ever. <laughs> and now <laughs> I'm doing all the sales and marketing and all the commercial side that comes along with it. So it's been a huge learning curve, but like really enjoyable. And so many people have helped me along the way. Fantastic. Um, any particular challenges that, that you would call out? Because, you know, we've got entrepreneurs listening to us who are learning all the time. What sort of challenges did you face uh, as, you, as you started building? Well, I think, I don't think you can ever underestimate just the sheer work it does take to get something off the ground yeah. and fully, you know, really, you know, really established. You know, I mean, there, there's absolutely, there is a lot of work goes into that. I think as well for us, like we were, you know, we were looking at figures the other day, you know, our average growth rate over the last three years is around 300%. Wow. So one of our main challenges is managing that operationally just to have the capacity. So like there's four of us on the core team, but we work with a really good, solid bunch of like associate contractors the whole time. Yeah. And just managing that has been a challenge. And I suppose I have really come to believe, you know, we probably are, we probably do need to get funding. In terms of wanting to, the ambition that we have, the scale we want to run the business on, in terms of the opportunity that we see, we are going to have to get funding. But now I think for us, and again, everyone is different, but for now I kind of feel, well, you know, we've really learned so much over the last four years. Yeah, yeah. And even any mistakes we've made, they've been small mistakes because we just couldn't afford to make big mistakes. Whereas now I'm like, now we really kind of know what we're at. And it's time to shift the journey again. But it really, you know, listening to you, uh, you know, and, and yes, there is a time to take on the funding, but you've you've put in so much groundwork. And so you're you are so knowledgeable about your business and the problems and the challenges and and, you know, what you're going to do with the money that it puts you in a very strong position. Had you done it a couple of years ago, you were probably a bit too early. Um, yeah. One of the things we all uh, need in life is a little bit of inspiration. And um, so who who do you admire or who might you look to for inspiration in those times that you need it? Yeah, well, I suppose I really like I love people who've done it. Do you know who have built businesses over 20 years, successful businesses out of Ireland as well? You know, yeah. I'm not really one of those reading the books by the big US. I just feel it's such a different space. You know what I mean? So I suppose I really like, I used to work with the guys, uh, Rob Curley and William Alden over in Single Point. Yeah, Yeah, you know them as well. Yeah. 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 Um, Super guys. uh, Super guys built a great business, Single Point, sold it to version one last year, but so generous with their time. Like when I was starting off, they gave me so much time. Every event I had, they were there at it, supporting you know, and I love their ability to like run a successful business, but still be very generous at the same time. And also, when I look around, you know, there's that kind of space in Dublin. I love the work uh, Anthony Quigley is doing in the coding. Yes, yes. I always think like I'm on their marketing list. It is so on point. All their marketing, like that's where I want to get to. Yeah. In terms of the cadence and the messaging they're doing, Michael Deneen over in Contracting Plus, you know, spotted a great opportunity. And again, like 20 years later, that business is so solid. And then finally, I suppose, and again, I suppose these are people kind of in my space, if you yes, know what I mean. Yes, But um, like Adam Coleman over in HR Locker. Oh, really yeah. Really like, but like like that, starting business out in the hinge, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
that's not easy, no, I think, no, you know? No, amazing. Um, and you're right, it's this, it's it's this, and, and you will do the same, I'm sure, to people and you'll be paying it back. But this notion of you're building the business, but you're also accepting that you have a responsibility to to kind of mentor others around you uh, and to be, that, that notion of being generous with your time. I love it, actually. There's a lovely lesson yeah, inside there yeah, for us. And, and, you know, and I do think like the Irish startup ecosystem, it is really good that way. And again, when I look at, you know, I'm part of the Going for Growth community, that follows yeah. the Simon's roles. Mary McKenna doing really interesting stuff in Awaken Hub, all in that sort of female entrepreneurship space. And there's really good stuff coming out of that. And I do find people are super supportive. If you ask people, people will help, you know? Yeah. And I really personally, because I've, I feel I've like learned so much and the company has grown so much over the last few years, that help has been so invaluable. Fantastic. Kira. I could talk to you all day, but I'm out of time. So um, I know, yeah, uh, the time flew. But can I just thank you for coming on and the very best of luck uh, with Work Juggle into the future. Okay, listen, thank you so much, Connor. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kira. That was Kira Garvin of Work Juggle and, and great to hear from Kira. Um, listening to the conversations this afternoon, I'm struck by the fact that for most of us, uh, a blended return to work looks likely and it poses the question of where we might all work in the future. And that's a, an open question. For some, the option of an office at home might not suit, but the other side, the prospect of a return to a five-day commute with all that that involves is not very appealing. I think there's probably a middle ground and I was reading recently that Ireland's first national network of remote working hubs has been launched and there's 66 facilities participating so far and this will ultimately rise to about 400, all connected, uh, allow you to book a desk, a meeting room, uh, using an online booking system and it seems to me that this idea of hubs in our community where we go to work uh, is something that I think will, will come to the fore um, and of course a shameless plug, Dublin Bic is part of its role in this area, manages a number of entrepreneurial hubs and one in particular the Guinness Enterprise Centre in Dublin 8 which has undergone a significant expansion over the last two years is now positioned as one of the leading entrepreneurial hubs in the country so certainly worth having a look at that so if you're thinking of, of what your future of work is going to be, where to base yourself, consider a co-working hub as an alternative to the five day in the office, maybe an option to consider. Hopefully that's of interest. That's our inside track for this week. We'll take a break and come back with Peter Cosgrove of FutureWise. So don't go away. So welcome back to Startup Nation, our weekly salute to innovation, entrepreneurship and the technologies that are shaping our future world. We've been talking today about work and the future of work, which is very relevant for entrepreneurs. So to continue our discussions and to get a deeper understanding of what the future might hold, I'm delighted to welcome Peter Cosgrove of FutureWise. Good afternoon, Peter, and thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon, Connor. You're, you're a man of many talents, a speaker, uh, an entrepreneur, a best-selling author. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I suppose I started off, uh, I'm, I'm from a family of 11, so uh, I suppose uh, we always had to learn very quickly to, to get things done, and um, you know, which happens in a big family if you yeah. don't shout very loudly. So um started off, I went to London straight after college, uh, worked in investment banking, worked out very quickly. That wasn't for me, and then I moved into management consulting, which um, I really enjoyed, but actually what I really enjoyed, the part was the people part. Yeah. Um, so I moved into the whole staffing industry because I just found people, careers, and that sort of thing very interesting. And I eventually came back to Ireland and worked with a great company, CPL, and yeah, yeah. under Anne Herity. Yes. She helped me, and I set up uh, the Future of Work Institute about five years ago because I just felt that a lot of our clients at the time really weren't looking too far into the future and as we now see um, a lot of things can happen very very quickly that means you have to pivot so we kind of set that up a few years ago so 
I, I left them a few years ago and set up FutureWise, so I'm doing something similar, which is I'm just um, exploring kind of the future of work and future trends for organisations. And in your spare time, writing books? Yeah, I, um, I, I've, a, I've a real concern around the digital challenges we've got, and you know we can talk a bit about it yeah. later with the work context, but um, I noticed my kids were spending a lot of time online and uh, it just became a real challenge and I, I kind of worked out very quickly that we're the biggest problem as in the adults because the reality is they're online because we've they've seen us online and staring at our iPhones as if they're the best thing ever yeah. so I, I wrote two books uh, Fun Unplugged and Family Fun Unplugged which is about kind of unplugging the family by um, getting a book in the hands of the kids that make them the smartest person in the room that makes them the funniest riddles challenges magic tricks and all the things that they do but they always have to be done for an audience so it's essentially one of those things you you can do around a dinner table Lovely. or a kitchen table. So what I realized very quickly is every time you go on the summer holiday and you do things as a family, everybody loves it when you're having this kind of great crack together. But unless you actually have a way to do it, what do people do? Oh, it's very quick to just quickly check my phone and go back to my phone. So yeah. it's a way to hopefully just take us off our digital devices for a while. Don't worry, I love technology, but I think we probably could all do with a break from time to time. That's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, which like well, my kids are growing up now, but but yeah, we would like to spend more time. And you're right, on holidays, we kind of find the time, we carve it out to do it. Uh, and then we return home and we get stuck back into the the, the, the normal day-to-day routine and everyone just retreats back to their phones and their laptops and computers and stuff. Um, it probably talks a little bit, Peter, to, to this note, you know, because work had been changing. Pandemic has accelerated that. Um, but actually, we, we had found ourselves in a routine around work and we're hearing from speakers today who are telling us that uh, work became this, uh, you know, place to go as opposed to a place of something to do. Um, so what do you think you know, moving to that future of work piece and, and breaking up what we were doing to what we are going to do. What's that going to look like uh, uh, as we as we return to some bit of normality? Yeah, so, like, I think it's incredible, um, you know, the change that happened in the last 18 months. You know, I always kind of joke that we, you know, if you look at who led your digital challenge, we always think, is it your CEO or is it your CTO? And the reality is it's COVID that was the biggest digital change in the last 18 months. We moved kind of five years and five months, as people said. Um, And it's incredible when we're thinking about it now. And I kind of think in, you know, in the short term, we're seeing weird things like you know I've got my kids wanting to go to school you know I've never seen that before they go, <laughs> yeah. can I just leave the house please yes. you know we've got people eating in glass houses or, or going to the gym in kind of individual bubbles or I've even seen people going to the cinema on boats in certain countries right. literally doing anything they can to continue to build these relationships so it tells me very quickly that it, well, technology is fantastic. We still really uh, th- uh, kind of crave this idea of actually building relationships. So when we then look at the workforce, how it's going to go back, the biggest challenge for organizations right now is you, know, you just don't know what it's going to look like because we have so many ifs and buts about when will we be able to go back. We keep hearing about new strains and so forth. So I'd say in the start, Connor, the first thing I would say is you know, companies need to actually just experiment and try things because this is not the time right now to be putting down your new hybrid working policy or this is our policy from now on yeah. because you might end up looking a little bit silly, which COVID has been very good at making us look over the last 18 months as it keeps changing. So I would tell people the starting point is to try things experiments, speak to your staff and see the sort of things that they'd like to try. So lots of discussion around, you know, you, that, that the hybrid notion, will we go back full time, will we not? Lots of surveys starting to emerge saying that employees uh, want a hybrid work, but maybe the employers haven't caught up with them yet. Uh, what's your sense on that? Um, look, 
so if you go back a second and you look at um, what, what's happened, because when we look at the remote work over the last 18 months, this is the first time anyone's ever worked remotely to this level. And there's been real positives from the point of view, you know, real estate costs are potentially going to go down in the longer term. We can now get access to global talent, so everybody doesn't need to work 40 minutes from home. We've proven flexible work for the first time ever, because a lot of organizations would have never done this, yeah. except it was forced them. We've hopefully improved this kind of empathy and inclusion, because we now see people's work and home, and we realize there's something else in their life. And we've definitely decreased bureaucracy. I think Simon Harris, with a stroke of a pen, made like millions of prescriptions online. But yes. And people focus a lot on these positives. And a lot of employees say how great it is working from home, how productive they are. But there is quite a few negatives. The isolation thing has been huge. And, you know, extroverts probably more than introverts have struggled with that. We, we definitely struggle with, like, innovation because we're not bumping into each other and all those accidental meetings just don't happen. And we all know Zoom and Teams are not very good for robust conversation. Yeah. We, we also kind of have to think that, like, a lot of employees don't want this. A lot of people talking about this are a little bit older in organizations who might have their own room or office. But, you know, and if I was in my 20s in London living with four friends, I don't think I'd like to be sitting in a kitchen table. Yeah. But the biggest one for me is this idea of burnout and e-presenteeism where um, I've never seen people working longer hours despite the fact that we're no longer working and having to do this commute. And this kind of comes back to this comment of the digital kind of distraction where you know, we literally at home, and at the start, a lot of people, talking to a lot of people, they felt guilty. They felt like, well, I'm not sure if I'm doing enough. Yeah. Should I be doing more? So people kept going back. Secondly, we have this... Um, bit that people never noticed about work, which is this decompression time. You worked and then you pulled down your laptop and then you walked home, drove home, yeah, um, got yeah. a bus home. In that 30 minutes, I don't think we understood all the things that were going on in our brain when we weren't working. You know, a lot of things were happening and then we got home. Now I literally put my laptop down and 20 seconds later, my son or daughter says, you know, what's for dinner, dad? Yes. And we've no individual time. And I think that's been the biggest challenge. So when we start looking into these new models of work, the first port of call is to realize that actually what people say they want is possibly not what they're going to want in six months' time. Because at the moment, you can imagine, because it, this isn't remote working. This is a remote working in a pandemic, and people need to understand that. Normal remote working, because I've worked for, from home for a number of years, you know, I can go to a coffee shop, I can go into town and meet yes, people, I can yes. go out in the evening. So I think people need, this is my point about this hybrid working. So, so why companies are behind in some ways is, they are struggling. We've got some organizations, and this is the real challenge. We've got some organizations out there, and I, you know, I'm not going to label all investment banks like that, but it would <laughs> probably be that sort of company, the kind of alpha-type company yes. where they're going, we want everybody back in the office. I saw one of the CEOs, on, yeah. uh, one of the CEOs who uh, yeah, said that exactly that during the week, we expect everybody back uh, come September. Yeah, and, and it's this phrase that people are now using, well, you're, you know, if you want a career, you'll come back to the office, and if you just want a job, stay at home. And that's terrible, but yeah. there is, there's always been this huge challenge in organizations by distance bias, that the further you are from the office, the less chance you have of being promoted because people forget about you. And that is, and I think people are going to forget. So, so what people are great at is we're going to put a policy in place, but actually it's the practices you need to think about. So the reality is if you say that everybody in the office can now work at home three days a week, and that's your policy, and then all the senior executives all decide to come in five days a week, what am I going to do as a junior employee? I'm yeah. going to come in five days a week because it's, you're telling people in terms of your unwritten rules that if you're serious, you're coming in five days a week. So, 
people are, people will be great at their policy, but actually the policy will mean nothing if we all know what the actual practice is. So I know for a fact that many organisations for years have had flexible, flexi working and flexible working policy, but I also know that those same people will leave, will be in at seven in the morning, but as they leave at four and they've done the full day's work, they feel they have to sneak out yeah. because they're still, oh, you're leaving before five or you're not doing a full day's work. <laughs> so I think that's going to be the much bigger challenge, which is how the culture of the organisation is going to change and how we kind of start to look on these words like trust rather than just kind of having this, well, these are the hours you work and you have to be in the office to do that. It's, it's, it's so such an insight into this, the unwritten rules and the culture that goes around it because, yeah, look, we're in principle, we're open to this and everybody can work from home. But actually in practice, you know, we're setting meetings at nine in the morning, you're expected to be in the office for them and stuff. So there's a big disconnect between what's going on uh, written down and what's actually happening. Yeah, and uh, look, there's two things in that. Firstly, I would say to any employees listening, you're not 100% right when you say you're more productive at home because actually think about it. Um, that's great if you're a freelancer and you're literally a one-man band and that's all you do, but the, there is a collective to all organizations and you can't build a culture if no one ever meets each other. So, you know, there is more than just your job. When you're at work, you might actually be accidentally even mentoring a new graduate and teaching them what to do and telling them what to do and telling them what not to do. And if you're not in the office, those things don't happen. So you might even notice that that's something you're doing. Well, that thing matters. But culture is something that a lot of organizations, whether we like it or not, they would sell to you their glossy buildings or their free food or their kind of fancy uh, location. And all of that is going a little bit. So, so these words that are now big are going to be like trust, you know, learning, challenge. And the story I always like is... Um, I always love the story of a locksmith. He told me the story that when he started being a locksmith, he went to this apartment block and he opened the door, but it took him about 45 minutes and he was sweating profusely. And the woman was so happy to get in. She said, how much? And he said, that'll be 80 euro. And she gave him a 20 euro tip. And he said five years later, he went back to the same apartment block. He said he was now a lock nerd. He loved his job and he used to open locks all the time. And he said he could open any door in about 45 seconds. And he opened the door in 45 seconds and the woman said, how much is that? And he said, 80 euro. And she goes, really? Like, it only took you 45 seconds. And do you think she tipped him? Not a chance. And he tells the story from the point of view, I am able to do 100 times more than I was able to do five years ago. But yet, people somewhat don't appreciate it because they don't see me sweating. And I always think about that in the workplace. This is back to this whole presenteeism culture. If I can't see you, do I know you're working hard? And we have to get away from that whole idea. We have to move much more towards, hang on, let's take the starting point that we do trust people. And if we do trust people, then, you know, Ernest Hemingway's advice, the best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them. And I think we have to start from that point of view as opposed from the point of view of because I can't see somebody, I'm presuming they therefore aren't working. And I think that's going to be a huge challenge for some organisations. Yeah, and and to to that trust piece and to move away from here's a task and when you've got it done to actually I've hired you, I trust you, do a job and uh, hopefully we'll all share in those results. Yeah. Can I go back on something you said there about this kind of uh, remote working and innovation and that potentially the the working from home as we all are, the forced working from home as we all are, um, is impacting on the innovation. Just talk a little bit about your thinking on that. Yeah, well, so so firstly, um, most innovation, you know, isn't where somebody comes up with a brilliant idea. You know, as someone said, it's not a eureka moment. It's usually when someone goes, oh, that's a bit funny. And then they speak to somebody else and go, why are we doing that? And then it's an iterative process. But that happens when people accidentally meet each other, bump into each other, have conversations. This is not happening online. 
Yeah. And, and, and the reason innovation is so important is you can't be happy with best practice anymore. If I'm a pharma company and I look at the best pharma company, all I'm doing is being as good as they are. And if you're in the hotel business, well, guess what? Hyatt's trying to be as good as Hilton. And then Airbnb comes around, which has nothing to do with the hotel industry and completely changes it. You know, so I, I say to people that the reason you need to do this is com- companies are going to have to look up and look into other businesses and work out how maybe technology and digitization is going to help them. So this innovation is going to be key. But, you know, if you ask most people where they are when they get the most uh, best ideas, they never say sitting at their desk. They say they're out and about, they're kind of going for a walk, they're in the shower. And, and, you know, or they're kind of lying down or they're driving. And the point is, it's when we're actually disconnected. And the problem with work at the moment is it's so focused on efficiency and tasks. And you see all these meetings people are in. Oh, I'm in back-to-back one-hour Zoom meetings all day. And you're going, when, are you, when have you got any time to do any thinking? Yeah. And especially the senior executives who, you know, who are sending emails at 11 at night or midnight. I'm going, hang on. You know, companies like Volvo stopped their senior executives in Germany sending emails after eight saying, look, we're paying you to think not yes. to do and actually if you're exhausted every night sending emails you're not going to come in with any good ideas so the crea- creativity and the innovation piece is key because everything is moving so fast you can just see we're talking about exponential change so if your business is just to even keep up and maybe stand still you need to be very creative and i just cannot see how we could do that if we were purely remote. Look, some companies can do it because maybe they've always had this remote setup, so they set it up that way. But it's very, very hard for a traditional company to pivot that quickly and just say, we're going to continue to be really creative and remote, but we're not going to be in the office together. I, I think that's very hard. Yeah. The, the Volvo example is a lovely one. I, I am guilty of sending emails uh, late at night, but but then I, you know, maybe during the day I've done something else and I've taken some time out. But is is the prescribing of no emails after eight, I know we're talking, we're talking about legislation here in this country as well. Um, is the prescribing of it just a kind of a complete counter-reaction uh, going too far the other way. I mean, is it not more of a, to a Volvo or whoever as an executive, you probably should be thinking about this, you shouldn't be sending them, but it's, but but putting it into legislation or into law, does that solve the problem? Oh, no, 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 I, I wouldn't be for that at all. That, that, that to me is, is going way too far because what you're doing is legislating something that doesn't need to be legislated. And yeah. it also is highlighting that this is a company issue when actually it's much more, in my view, an employee issue. So I know for a fact that most people listening to this, if they're sitting on the couch with their partner watching Netflix and one of the partners goes off to make a cup of tea or go to the toilet, it will take all of three seconds for them to pick up their phone and scroll through it. So, you know, and then it might be email, it might be something else, or it might be Instagram, but the point is we, we distract ourselves. We don't need anyone else to do it. And, and this idea of you don't send emails after eight, all you're doing is then creating this bizarre culture where some people will continue to do it because they say, I want to do it. And then you create a tier system in organizations. Well, we've one person who was working harder and one person isn't and the legislation won't matter so this is much more about companies having a policy about what the right thing to do is um, this is a policy where if the ceo leads by examples in this and said look what well, we're not actually going to reward you by seeing an email at midnight that's not a good thing you actually call someone out and said you shouldn't be sending emails at 12 at night that's what i mean by this it's yeah. not it's not about policy and government legislation around it because we have to be seen 
from my point of view, internationally as a really flexible workforce. Yes, tax is important in Ireland, but from all the IDA meetings I've been in, they say tax is important, but they always say the second thing is your people, but also the flexibility of your people, especially compared to a lot of Europe. And the last thing we need is more legislation. So uh, that, you know, that kind of moves them away from com- uh, countries like France and, and Holland to us because of that. So let's not change that. Yeah, yeah. And it goes back to your point about the unwritten rules. And, you know, if from the top the leadership say, you know, sometimes we do send emails at night, you don't have to respond to it. We'll see in the morning, you know, if you need to take time out, blah, blah, blah. So it comes down to these unwritten rules, which, you know, as an organisation starts or is easy enough, as that organisation scales and grows, it's kind of difficult to retain that original culture as you become, you know, from 10 people to 1,000 to 10,000, you know? Yeah, and many organisations um, try to almost build these pods now of like, you know, this kind of Dunbar rule that you can only have 150 people, which is kind of like you can't have more than that kind of a group. So they try and create silos in their organisations for that to happen because they understand how difficult it is. But there was a great phrase by Hewlett-Packard said, if Hewlett-Packard knew everything that Hewlett-Packard knows, what an organisation we'd be. And their point <laughs> is, is really about that, the amount of learnings and knowledge in an organisation, but how do we unlock that from people? And that's per- firstly, because it's very difficult in a big organization. But secondly, because people very quickly become inured to giving new ideas because they're being told, oh, you know what? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, Connor. But you know what? We tried that before. And very quickly, you know the way we come into an organization full of great ideas. Two years later, we get somewhat beaten down and then we stop coming up with these ideas. So what you've really got to do is have that culture of innovation. I always say companies don't innovate. If you think about this from the point of view of uh, risk, like companies are quarterly, they're risk averse. It's yes. people who innovate, people who come up with these ideas. And while lots of people say, oh, Peter, I, you know, I don't really do good ideas. I always say, you know what? Nobody comes up with great ideas. We all come up with terrible ideas and then they become good ideas. So this idea that you're just going to have a light bulb moment doesn't work. Yeah. But this is back to the culture. You need to have a culture where people are able to come up, come up with suggestions and not get knocked down for that's ridiculous that won't work and that kind of helps people realise that they have a voice in organisations and also you know I have a hundred ideas a day probably most of them are nonsense but actually the idea is one part of it but your point then around the the support and the process uh, to take that and develop it and build it the timing the execution how does it work uh, the commercial model that goes around it the idea is is in fact a very small part of that whole uh, kind of if you will new new product development process absolutely can we talk about technology? We opened up at the start and you were, you were explaining about this kind of digital detox for families uh, and you, you do make the point that, that technology is still very important. So we all get that, but we need to kind of figure out the rules around it. As we think about the future of work, what part does technology play in that for us? Firstly, if you, if you kind of look at the time we're in, um, one of the only benefits of COVID, and I'm not saying it, it, it was a good thing, but actually it at least happened when, in the first world anyway, we actually had bandwidth that people were able to do what we did. Because this would have been very difficult 10 years ago, if you think about you know everybody on video at the same time yeah. making calls. So there's firstly no doubt that you know when we go back to work, there's going to be huge cost savings in terms of the basic things like travel and hotels. I mean, the reality is a lot of times, you know, you, you travel to London for one meeting, you know, there were times you, yeah. it got cancelled and you were already there and the amount of time and the exhaustion to go at six in the morning to get there for nine. And, and that is going to change. Hotel bills, travel is going to change. However, not completely because I do know people have missed a little bit of that because yeah. they realise that the only place they think is when they're in a plane. So it, it doesn't mean it should completely change. But, but when you look at how technology works, it's the, the first thing we have to realise is 
a lot of people are saying to me over the last year now, Peter, like I really am frustrated with the meetings on Zoom. You know, people are on the call, but they're not on the call. You can actually see people and they're typing while the meeting's on. And I'm kind of going, that's not a Zoom issue. That was happening five years ago when I was in a meeting and where people started bringing in laptops. And after they stopped speaking, they'd be on their phone while someone else was speaking. Yeah. So, so this idea that remote working won't work because this is what's happening, there's some basic things around meeting etiquette that I think if any organization was trying to look at anything new, I'd say start with the basics, you know. Email started to be something as a productivity tool, and most people now think it drains their day. Yeah. Uh, meetings used to be something we kind of loved, and now we go, oh, no, not another meeting. So all these things about defaulting meetings to an hour, um, making sure that only people come to a meeting who care about being the meeting. Steve Jobs famously used to kick people out of the meeting if he didn't think they were involved. He said, look, you don't seem to be interested. You can leave because he only wanted people there for the shortest amount of time who wanted to be there. But, but then if you look at some of the technology that will work, and I'm always worried about technology because, you know, the reality is like people brought Slack in. They go, oh, Slack is brilliant. You know, instant messenger. It means we can talk to people all the time. And I, I always go, yeah, but I don't want to be talked to all the time. I don't want to be physically to be able to be interrupted when I'm working. And this is this instant economy. So I spoke to kind of new graduates a number of years ago, and I said, if your house was on fire, would you like me to call you or email you? And they, and, and they, they didn't immediately say call, and that scared me. And I said, guys, email is not urgent, and we've made it urgent. You know, a call is urgent. If you want to get me, call me. Um, but there are tools out there. So there's good collaboration tools like Slack if they're used right. There are very good project management tools out there like Basecamp and Monday.com and Asana, depending on the size of you. And even simpler things like... Crisp, which is a very good, with a K, Crisp is a great software tool for noise cancellation because if we continue to work remotely, this is a software that kind of tunes out the barking dog if you, or maybe yeah. if you're in a coffee shop, it only hears your voice and tunes out everything else. Wow. But the big, the big technology that's going to be a real struggle and I know people are looking at the moment, I saw one called Meeting Owl, but these are going to be these 360 video softwares because hybrid working, one of the things that people don't see enough about or think enough about is when we're all out of work, it actually works very well because nobody's in the office. It works very poorly when 60% of us go back to the office and then the other 40% are on Teams or Zoom because they're on the video, the rest of us are in the room, and it's all those simple things like the meeting continues to happen when the Zoom call ends because we all chat about it or... You know, when we used to do this back in the days when we only did phones, you know, the people always had a very poor experience on the phone because they couldn't really hear the conversation properly. So if we're going to make this hybrid remote working right, we need to make sure that people who aren't physically in the room don't feel like second class citizens. And I think that's going to be the key technology that everybody should be working on, because if you win that battle, you're going to be you're going to be very, very rich. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Um the last question I was considering, you mentioned earlier on around, you know, Ireland as an attractive place for, for overseas. And you mentioned around this talent uh, and our talent pool. Um, what sort of what sort of people or how will we be hiring in the future and what will we be looking for as employers, do you think? Um, look, in, in some ways, uh we will continue what we always did because we're not very good at hiring. You know, having done it for years, we are terrible at it. Um, all the research shows that um, a standard interview process, you're about 20% likely to get the best hire. There's a huge amount of bias still in it. We really struggle. Even all this unconscious bias training that people go on can actually make people more biased because they almost think they're cured because they forget it's the word unconscious. Yes. So I, I, I'm not that confident. But where I am more confident is companies who actually start to think whoever we hire could be anywhere in the world. And if you start with that approach, then you start to think, 
we could unlock so much more talent out there. And there's a huge opportunity for organizations in this. So uh, there's a great book written by Richard Baldwin called Globotics, where he says, if you think of the exponential change at the moment, how fast things are changing, how incredibly quick it is, he says, think of something like Google Translate. If you went on there recently, it's really good now. But he says in 10 years' time, it'll be so good that we won't have 1 billion people speaking English. We'll have everybody speaking yeah. English and every language uh, because people will have instant translation. Now, here's the thing. If everyone in the world can essentially speak English as a first language, why do you need to hire somebody 10 miles away when you can hire someone 6,000, 6 million miles away who you know, can work for 10% of the price of somebody else? Wow. So the first thing is this, this, we're going to really push this remote work, but this will only work if you, like a lot of people are now hiring these roles, like head of remote working, because I've hired a lot of freelancers in the past and you almost have to t- deal with it this way. When you deal with somebody who works for you very remotely, you forget that when you sit beside somebody, you actually interact with them maybe 30 or 40 times a day and tell them, oh, no, don't do that. Oh, you know, you might walk by their desk and go, what are you doing with that table? I don't want you to do the table. I want you to do it like this. But when you work with somebody and you don't speak to them all the time, and maybe you're not on video a lot, you know, you have to give them much better communication and much better instruction. So I think we're going to hire a lot more people remotely, but only if we figure out how to do it very well first. So let's not start with all, yes, we can get into this. Let's work out how does this work very well for the organisation. Peter, I'm way over time. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I could talk to you for the day, but I'm going to have to leave it there. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. That's Peter Cosgrove of FutureWise. Well, that's it for this week. Do join us again next week when we'll be looking at digital transformation. What does it mean and where might the opportunities be for innovators? We hope the stories you heard today will inspire you. If you're looking for support, do get in touch with us at startup at dublinbic.ie. That's it for this week. Join us again next week at 12 noon for Startup Nation. 